Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. John, how are you, my friend? Brian, excellent. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. My mind is going a million different directions. I know that I sent you that article about a million less sales jobs by the end of 2020. It's kind of mind-blowing, and this isn't due to coronavirus. This is something completely different. What do you make of all this, John? Yeah, you know, it was, it, it, I'm glad you sent it. It was an absolutely fascinating uh, lead-in, and, and I'll tell you something. Honestly, my initial reaction was, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of people in sales really shouldn't be there um, for one reason or another they are, and and. The other thing I thought is, hey, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense because a lot of these folks that are in sales, they they seriously aren't that good. And of course, I did that before I bothered to open up the rest of the article and read it. And and what I found really fascinating about the article was that it's talking more to, there are two things going on in here, I think, or two markets. They're talking more to the fact that there's um, a a loss of need for sales folks in, in the business to consumer space. Much more so than a loss of a need for folks in the business-to-business space. But what they're pointing to in both of those, and I think this is this is really, really significant, is that technology is taking the place of a lot of the need for sales folks. Um, people are able to find information faster. They're able to find it more completely. They're able to do – I mean, there, there are sites out there that do nothing but comparison shopping for people. And again, most of it's on the B2C stuff because that tends to be a little bit easier to make a decision around than the B2B types of things. But folks don't want to deal with salespeople for a whole lot of reasons we can talk about. Um, They're finding that they can have what's now being called a a direct-to-consumer kind of experience so they can make those decisions easier. And what I also found really fascinating, though, was part of the, the quote in the article was that 68% of B2B buyers prefer doing business online. That's kind of interesting versus with the salesperson. And here's where the fun starts. But they say when they engage with sales, they want that experience to be in a more problem solving consultative manner. All right. Interesting. I don't know if you read that. <laughs> well, here's, here's what I took away from it. Here's what I took away from it. The, the notion of um, let's go hire a salesperson and tell that salesperson to start dialing for dollars, first of all, is completely outdated and completely wrong, period, end of discussion. Because if 68% of these buyers are moving towards uh, doing all of their prior to talking to a salesperson research online, why are we calling them and bothering them? That's point number one, okay? Um, point number two he doesn't talk about, but I have seen, is that the role of what you would call traditional salesperson, and I think this is where this article is coming from, is being replaced at at the front end, at the um, attention interest step, if you will, by SDRs, by sales development reps. So, and the market for sales development reps, by the way, has grown considerably over the past few years, but they're not typically called salespeople. Because right? no, they're not, not treated the same, they're not paid the same, they don't have the same job. They're basically, they're basically dialing for dollars trying to generate leads. So the, the, the end result, and I want to get into this with you and get your perspective, I think the end result is that what this person is really saying and what this data is really telling us is that the million sales rep displacement by the end of 2020 is around currently defined functions of sales. 
you're always going to need more salespeople. And I think you have a stat about Salesforce growth, but I think what has what, what our sales managers and our business owners and our business management has to be thinking about is, is the role and the definition of the function of the sales rep currently in our organization, is it defined properly? Or are we using a, you know, 2005, 2010 definition and job description for a job that is now 2020 and, and doesn't really fit anymore? It's a great question. You, you have to wonder, are they adapting properly? Are they listening to their audience? I mean, do they understand that consumers are saying this and are they acting as if, and you think if they would, I, that number might be a little bit bigger than a million, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's right. I think the B2C world is mainly transactional and if people want to buy something, they just want to buy it. They don't want to talk about it. They want to deal with it. They want to be upsold and they don't want to be pestered after the fact. They want to buy it and be done with it. And I think that's a natural progression. I think we're training ourselves to, to get in that mindset. I know I'm that way, but you're right. When it comes to B2B, I think that's where the relationship selling really comes in the consultative sales, right? And of course, we've done some talks on the lack of training there and some statistics behind that. But what do you think, John? Do you think that these companies understand that's where the industry is headed and they're adapting? Or do you think they're still trying to utilize the, as you mentioned, the 2005 way of, of drumming up business B2C? I think that this is that the shift is so difficult to comprehend at its core basis. And it is such a complex question because of all the different factors that you can take into place, whether they're technology based or, or whether they're um, buyer sentiment based or whether they're, um, you know, how the current generations. And again, we we're dealing right now with a buying population that is about four or five generations where each one of those generations has different attitudes towards buying and different attitudes towards somebody selling to them. And, and, and how do you really determine that as you're going into it? And unfortunately, whether you like it or not, you have to, because the buyer, the buying experience for them is, is, is all different. So I, I honestly, I think that a lot of companies are overwhelmed. I think that they're, um, they can't quite figure this out because it's too much to take in. And, and my sense quite frankly is that the ones that are successful our understanding that they do have to stop for a second, pause, take a breath, go backwards, re-engineer their processes, and then move forward. And if they're not, they're going to lose. And I'll give you a, a great example of that. There's a term that we all know of called um, digital transformation that's out there in most industries right now. And a lot of folks in digital transformation started to be discussed, thought that that meant that they take their traditional business model, the traditional business process, and you put a website in front of it. And then if you really want to be fancy, you put an ordering module in front of it. And what they failed to realize was that they still had broken cogs in the process that threw the buyer off track and the buyer said, wait a minute, that's not the way I want to buy and then refused to continue down the process. Digital transformation is about taking the entire end-to-end experience for the buyer and delivering it in a seamless, no burps, digital way. That's a lot of work and that's very different. And once that occurs, as we've already said, will you, will you obviate the need for certain people on the front end in the sales side? Yes, you will. Will you obviate the need for certain people in the back end? Yes, you will. But the more complex that product and that experience becomes through necessity, the more you're going to need, as is, as is kind of spoken about right here in the article, you're going to need problem-solving consultative salespeople that know the product, that know the process, that understand the buyer, all the things we talk about. So 
look, it's, it's okay if, if a company doesn't want to go through this, but their competitor will. And that's, I think, what we're seeing. Oh, absolutely. You've got to be first. That's the rule of thumb in business. Be first or be dead. That, that's what happens, right? Um, there is no neutral here, John. We know that we've seen this many, many times. Those that uh, procrastinate, they end up in the, uh, in the dumpster somewhere. And I'll tell you, I think, you know, personally, John, and we've seen the stats here on quota percentages, and they're pretty bad. And they've been going down year over year. And that's a whole other ball of wax. But I think that answers our question. They have not been adapting because if they have, obviously those numbers would be much better. But, uh, you know, I read an interesting stat here that it takes 10 months or more for a new sales rep to be fully productive. And I just don't know right now if people are given enough time to be able to fully flourish in a role. It's, it's, it's one of those questions, John, where I think that it deserves a closer look. Could that be leading into those numbers? Oh, I, I, I definitely think it is. I mean, in fact, I, I know it is. And, and you have some stats um, that, that talk to this. But again, if, if you go in, as an example, if you go and hire a salesperson, and we're talking about a relatively complex sales environment, but if you go and hire a new salesperson um, and hire that person and say, oh, this person's a pro, they understand how to sell, and don't properly, and I use that word specifically, properly equip them with information about the buyer, about the buyer preference, about the buyer personas, information about your vision, mission, values, um, and culture, because people are buying based on that these days. If you don't help them understand what a, what a proper justification in the eye of the buyer might look like, if you don't help them and equip them with the necessary questions to do proper discovery that exposes where there might be a problem, where there might be a gap in the current state versus the future state, if you're not doing that for them, when you should have the information to do that, expecting them to do that on their own, not only does it take longer, but they might not get it right as easily. If you don't encourage a sales environment where salespeople are without your direction, but aren't empowered to start to discuss how they're winning deals, why they're losing deals, how to move those deals forward, if you don't present them with a CRM system that allows them without wasting their time, but allows them to determine what the proper sequence and timing of those different metrics are within the process and then work towards reducing the ones that are the most out of sync with where you're trying to do to close the sale. If you're not doing all of that, then you're just, you're basically being ingenuous, disingenuous to your sales team. And I mean, I hate to say it, but I'll go out there and say it, Brian, you don't belong being a sales manager. There you go. I love it, John. It, it took a while, but you, you went there. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't want to let anybody off the hook here. Now, what you mentioned is fantastic, and that, that contributes to a, a lot of loss of jobs for sure. But the flip side of that is there's some culpability on both sides, and I want to call it out. And you sure. and I, we've come up with some bullet points on what we think is also contributing to a ton of jobs being lost this year. And I know one of them we came up with is certain people shouldn't be there to begin with. Just as you mentioned, there are managers that shouldn't be there, but there's also some reps that shouldn't be there as well. Would you agree with that, John? There's no question, Brian. There's absolutely no question about that. Certainly, you know, I don't remember what the stats are that talk about the mismatch in jobs, but it, it, it is pretty bad. Yeah, People well, go you know, into I'll a job for the wrong reason. It's true. It's true. I think, what is it, 39% of people never intended to be there to begin with. So is it just, I'm just taking a job because I think it'd be fun. It'd pay more money. Who knows what it is, but, uh, and maybe some of those people will be successful. I'm not sure, but I, I attribute some of this. I don't know if you agree with me, but you know, some people, they just lie on their resume. I mean, they really want to talk their way in. You ever seen that show restaurant impossible? You remember that Robert yes. Irvine, you sure. know, guy's fantastic, but just to get in, 
he had to BS the Food Network on all of his you know, accomplishments, right? So, I mean, a lot of people do it. I think the stats show that only 15% on average uh, of everyone achieves 75% or higher quota attainment. So somebody's got to be BSing on, on about something. It's kind of like you, you ever know anybody, John, you talk to them, they say, hey, I went to Vegas, so how to go, I won. Everybody I know wins in Vegas, right, according to them. Uh, statistics say otherwise. Well, there's yeah some, some interesting stats, um, and this was – quoted in the Wall Street Journal. This goes back a few years, but I think that I think from a directional perspective, it's kind of interesting. And they're talking about one in every four people in the general population, in the general population now, has better potential for sales work than 50% of the people already in the sales profession. All right. And then they also looked at uh, thousands of uh, employees of large, mid-sized, and small companies and found that nearly 80% of the workers are not filling the jobs best suited to their talents, abilities, and potential. Now, I, I, I will tell you that when I was growing up and being, you know, being a kid of, of the uh, upper middle class, basically it was ingrained in me and all of, all of the folks that I knew, all the kids I grew up with, that if, if you didn't want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a dentist, that you basically were dirt. And, and the trades, the trades were basically there for the stupid kids, the ones who couldn't make it. Interesting how many plumbers 20 years later were driving around in Mercedes. That is very interesting. But you do see that in business, John. You say, hey, my dad was a plumber. My dad, my mom was a teacher. So I want to follow in this family business. Now, some people are very successful. It's in the DNA, some would argue. Some maybe not, right? It, it really, really depends. But an interesting stat, John, along those lines about people shouldn't be there. I read here that 36%, or actually, actually it was a number one request. They pulled a, reps across many, many industries. Their number one request was that they had better access to targeted prospects. You think that's weak and kind of being a whiner, John, and not taking ownership, or do you think that's a, an actual concern that should be addressed? Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I, I love I love whenever you we read something or you you, you look at something, and, and then you really have to say, um, what is the context? What's the true context? So, are they asking for access, or are they saying um, the quote unquote targeted prospects? aren't really qualified, all right? They're, they're not, they, why are they targeted? Well, who targeted them? Who said that that was the right person to go after? I, I remember um, an organization not too long ago decided that they wanted to bring in a uh, sales consulting, ooh, big word, sales consulting organization who took a look at um, their target prospects and their target prospects were defined as about 350 uh, decent-sized organizations in the United States, and then said, okay, we have, we'll use numbers just as an example, we have 25 different products, and, and let's look at these accounts based on their size and based upon their market and determine which of these products which they should be using. And then came up and said, okay, for, for account X, even though you have no penetration in that account, um, you should be able to generate $4.5 million over the course of the next two years because that, that's the profile of their need. The problem was they completely discounted the fact that maybe the financial situation of that organization wasn't you know, what it was made out to be. They completely discounted the fact that maybe there were incumbent vendors in there that had, that had already sold into that account. And maybe the life cycle of that particular solution that they bought was three years or five years or seven years, which meant that they wouldn't be a prospect for quite a period of time. They discounted all of that. 
but everybody said, oh, it's a sales consulting organization. Oh, they have a methodology. Oh, let's believe this to be true. Emperor has no clothes. <laughs> it's just funny. You know, you read that better access to targeted prospects. I mean, are they looking for lead lists? Are they, I mean, are, aren't they the ones in charge of qualifying these leads when they come in? So is it that I'm getting leads, but they're not who I'm trying to go after? They're not qualified? I really don't understand this. This is a very interesting statement here. Um, but what's even more interesting, managers, apparently, their number one request is providing reps with tools and software to enable them to be successful. So if you think about it, John, there's a, a breakdown here, right? So the rep's request of the manager is, I want better access to targeted prospects. The manager's request to their VP or the CEO, whoever, is providing these reps with tools and software to enable them to be successful. It is a little vague, yes. They are pulling a lot of people. This just really shows, John, there is a complete disconnect here. Um, lack of tools, lack of software, lack of targeted prospects. Is this whining and excuse making or is this legit? What do you think? What's your instincts tell you here? My instincts are telling me it's, it's, it's a combination, but it's, it's also kind of interesting. Um, I'm going to use an example, different example, but I think it, it helps illustrate the point. If, if you go into a, um, a store that sells kitchen appliances and kitchen tools, as an example, or if you look at some of the infomercials that will appear late at night selling um, you know, this tool that does the most amazing whatever it does with cooking, but it's a single purpose tool, okay? And a lot of that stuff gets bought because it captures people's imagination. They go, oh, that's interesting. I can do that. And then you listen to professionals in, in that business and they say any tool that's a single purpose tool should never be in the kitchen to begin with because it only takes about six or seven different tools, certain types of knives, et cetera, certain types of pans, et cetera, in order to cook any kind of high-end meal that you want. So part of what you have is this fascination with, with the latest and greatest. Part of what you have is, is uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out, all right? And so if you look at everybody who's promoting a product, and this is normal, they're promoting their product, making you believe that it's the best product to suit the job, but they haven't really looked at the whole problem because that's not what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to convince you to focus on one part of the problem and to go solve that one part of the problem to the exclusion of any other. There was a, a, a chart that I saw recently, and it was only one person swipe at this that looked at sales enablement tools and found over 250 sales enablement tools across 35 different definitions. How many of wow. those are real? How many of those do you need? So we, we go back, we go back to, I think that the first broken cog in this whole process is having a clear and true understanding of what you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, how you're going to go ahead and execute it, figuring out who the team is that you need it, and then figure out what tools you need for the team. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, if you think about it, you know, do you have an SDR team that's, that's providing these targeted prospects or these leads, you know, are you tasking your reps with doing it? They just don't know how to do it because the training has been lackluster, right? Or is your marketing team dropping the ball? What is it? What's the breakdown of the company? Obviously, we've worked with many and we can figure it out. Managers request providing reps with tools and software. What, what, what era are we living in here, John? My God, there's tools all over the place. Is this the fact that you don't have the tools? The tools that you have, do they suck? I mean, what is it here? I really, I would love to understand is this passing the buck, John? Is this the manager really not wanting to get oh, involved? I think so. I think so. I mean, we, and we've talked about this when we talked about 
uh, sales training in general. Sales training is a tool. It's one of the many tools. It is some tool. of it's excellent. And some, and some of, of them are tools too, right, John? Well, we're not going to go there, but this is true. <laughs> but to go and buy a sales training course, to not to incorporate it into your, your daily workings, to not have everybody in the, the sales process um, adhere to it, to not do ongoing training, to not do update training, it's a tool. Well, and the question's always been, John, a manager, should they be in charge of training the staff? Should there be a dedicated corporate trainer? Because think about it. You know, a lot of these corporate trainers, it's a catch-all program. It's just in general onboarding to the business. But the sales function is very specific. And should the manager be in charge of doing that? Obviously, ongoing, yes. Initially, we, we, I'd love to, to understand, you know, people's points of view on that and, and where we're at with that. But here's another bullet, John, that you and I came up with. The fact that some of these people are just not that good. You know, you look at the NBA, there's 400 players in the NBA, right? There's a lot of good basketball players. These are the elite. So to make it to the elite, it's very few. And obviously they look at metrics and they measure success. So if you look at this, John, best in-class companies close 30% of sales qualified leads. That's qualified, right, mind you. While average performing companies close around 20%. What do you think about that? Is that good or is that in the toilet? Again, got to look at the stat. Um, boy, when you get into this, I mean, how many millions of salespeople are there? How many, how many thousands of industries and businesses to, to start to do this? Well, um, I'll tell you. I think it's in the toilet and I'll tell you why. Because the next stat, it's, it tells it all. 48% of sales calls end without an attempt to close the sale. So that leads to the national closing rate. This is everybody, you know, the good and the bad, 27%. Imagine you go in, John, you know, back in the old days, you and I back in the day going in and sitting down for review and saying, John, your closing percentage is 27%. I mean, obviously it depends on what you're selling, if it's enterprise or not, but God, imagine how many missed opportunities there are there. But think about it, 48% of sales calls end without an attempt to close a sale. Now you and I are going to do another conversation on why that is and, and what occurred, but that leads to everything. Obviously that leads to weak leadership, lack of accountability, lack of training, crappy attitude. Um, but again, our bullet was, they're just not that good. This to me proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. But again, you, you still have to, you still have to be a little bit careful. All right. Because there are organizations that, that have products, goods and services, offerings, whatever you want to call it, that, and we've talked about this a lot, have not really figured out who their target market should be and just say, well, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go sell to everybody. And, and the probability of, of any prospect that they go after being an actual customer is extremely small. I mean, remember, even, even when you're well-honed, the, the, the national average is something along the lines of only 3% of, of your target prospects are actually looking at any given time. Think about that. Right, but if you're not asking. No, 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 right? but, but I'm saying, so if, if you go, if, if, if somebody says to you, all right, go call an XYZ company, and you go, wait a minute, XYZ company, we, we just read the press release, they just bought from Joe, it doesn't matter, go call an XYZ company, all right, and you go call an XYZ company, and they say, what, what's the matter with you? We just bought from so-and-so, we're out of the market for the next three to five years, and your management rates that up as an inability to close. Well, there's, there's always the, problem. The, the small percentage, but, but think about it. Big old picture, 48% without even attempt. I mean, look, at you can. there's two ways to look at this, right? Very highly targeted or it's the Gene Simmons approach, right? Gene Simmons goes into a bar. 
He asks 50 women for their phone number. He leaves with X amount. It's just a numbers game. Some people look at it that way. It's just a numbers game. You cast the net, you see what happens, right? But again, as a salesperson, you have to ask. I mean, how many times have we, have we thought in the past, we've seen examples of this, it's not a right fit, I'm not really sure, I'm not, and you ask and you get it, right? I mean, you, can, you don't know what's going on inside their minds. That comes, with, that comes with obviously great perception, experience, and tenure and things like that. But I got to tell you, nearly 50%, they do not even attempt to micro, get a micro commitment, close for next steps, ask for the order to do anything. How are you going to receive an objection? Or, or to understand what the objection is. How are you going to know what I need to do next or what next steps are looking like or you know, a micro-commitment on a, on a follow-up conversation, anything, John? I mean, that, I've got to tell you, that this is alarming to me. Well, yes, but and, and when you start, and, and that's where I think this conversation does need to go. When you start to talk about micro-commitments, when you start to talk about cadence, when you start to talk about process, I completely blame management because that is what management should be able to provide. This is, this is like... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't care where you take, take a, a national football league uh, draft choice. He comes in and he says, okay, what are we going to do coach? And he says, well, just play. Wait a minute. There's a playbook. Okay. That playbook was designed before that person came in. That playbook might be modified for the draft pick, but that playbook speaks to every single member on the team for virtually every single scenario that they either have it in the can or that they can modify it. And I think most, most, most sales reps are brought in with no playbook. I'm not talking about a script. No, I'm true. talking about a full understanding of what the sequence is and where those micro closes are in the sequence. I agree. I agree. So, and here's why I agree. Well, I agree because of my experience and your experience, but here's another stat that, that really doubles down on what you said. 81% of companies say productivity would improve with better process, skills, or competency training, right? So there you go. I mean, there's obviously a lack. It's exactly what you mentioned. It's, hey, go out there and figure it out. It's spaghetti on the wall. You know, everything they're asking sales reps not to do, they are doing it, right? That comes right. down to mission, vision, purpose, a lack of investment into your people. Um, but here's my question, John. Are these companies actually pursuing new ideas? Are they bringing up new ideas? Or are the current solutions just not good enough? They're utilizing them. They're dropping the ball. Very well, interesting statement. Here. There, there's, uh, there's a bunch of statistics that talk to um, or studies that, that talk to this and, and a lot of it comes down to what the sales management and what the, the management of the organization really do um, and, and think about if your job is a sales manager and you're supposed to be managing your sales force you're supposed to be but you also have another job because sales managers are pulled in two different directions the other job that you have is is reporting to the folks above you. So it's managing up and it's, it's keeping them happy so that you don't lose your job. Go back to that stat you just mentioned about the average tenure of, of a sales manager. So part of what you're doing, quite frankly, like it or not, is you're making sure that you have a job, all right, even though your numbers aren't there. Okay. So now you've got somebody who isn't, who isn't performing quite at par, but you know that you can get by and, and your job's pretty safe, even if you're at 80, 85% of quota, because you can bullshit your way through the other 15% that you're missing. All right. So do you take the time and energy and write up the justification to go to HR to say, hey, I want to replace one of my reps, which in and of itself is a, is a huge issue to try to let somebody go. And now you've got to go through the whole process of writing up a job description, posting the, the job need, interviewing all these folks and making a new hiring and then onboarding that person. A lot of these guys don't want to go through it. 
They just no. don't want to go through and, it. And that's the key, John. It's like onboarding. You, I, we use the term loosely because you see so much churn. You see all of these, the spaghetti and the wall method. You put them on the desk for a month, two months, doesn't work out, quote unquote. On to the next one. You think, man, that's a lot of heavy lifting, but it's not because they're not providing that robust training. They're not providing the onboarding. They're not providing any type of support. And obviously, they don't want to give any decent leads to somebody who's unproven at that point. So again, like you mentioned, to your credit, put them on the desk, deal with it, and just hope, fingers crossed, that uh, we have somebody come in who can actually save the day or we find the unicorn. We find Rumpelstiltskin, right? They can spin straw into gold right out of the gate. How's that working out for you? Because when I look at these numbers and these percentages, ain't a whole lot of that going on, John. So you wonder why they keep going back to the well too many times with this same uh, attitude here. Yeah. And I still, you know, we go back to the same question we've asked time and time again. Why would LeBron James go play for your team? Why would he ever go play for your team? Okay. You think you're wonderful. You put a unicorn mandate out there, but why would the unicorn ever even want to bother with you? If this is the state of your organization, if you can't provide the sales reps with the kind of support that they really need to be successful as, and we haven't even talked about the, the, the attitude perspective of all of this, but if you can't even begin to provide that, and don't you think that comes out in Glassdoor reviews? And don't you think that comes out in Yelp reviews? And don't you think that comes out because people talk to each other? And, and I mean, it's easy to go on to LinkedIn and say, show me people who used to work for your company. Figure out who used to work there in the last year. Send them an email and go, hey, would you really mind telling me how, how you fail about your company? About the company you left? How easy is that to do? So if if sales managers, sales leaders, sales owners, general management, if you guys can't get that part of your act together, why should a unicorn come join you? Well, it's it's, it's the question everybody should ask, Johnny. They're so concerned with what their clients or their customers are saying, but they're not concerned about what their employees are saying. And they don't realize that that's really a humongous cog that's broken. I mean, Reviews are everything. As you mentioned, Indeed, Glassdoor, Yelp, whatever it is, you have a bad reputation. I mean, it shows here, what was it, 80% if they see a bad review on Glassdoor won't even go to the interview? Right. You're dead in the water. You are never going to, not only will you not get a unicorn, you won't get an average rep coming in and, and giving you the time of day. So you have to settle for whoever will take the position, which will be people that obviously you don't want to begin with. And here goes the cycle, the vicious cycle, as we say. Right. So I think, I think there's more than enough to chew on here, Brian. I, I just keep going so back much. to, you know, a couple of things that, that we talk about time and time again. Um, you know, Moneyball as a concept is, is so big to me. And the second point is, you know, folks, you've got to stand up, look in the mirror one day and say, hey, am I part of the problem? Am I the problem? Um, what can I do to solve it? And not just sit back and go, hey, it's somebody else's. No, at the end of the day, it's not. At the end of the day, it's yours. So yeah, I'm you're going to want to solve it. I'm telling yeah. you, John, you know, I'm a sports guy like, you know, you are, and you look at a team like the San Antonio Spurs, you've got a great guy, Greg Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Everybody loves the guy. The guy never smiles, right? He's never satisfied. He's won how many championships. But the interesting thing about Greg Popovich is that he comes in and he has a ready-made system. You know, how many superstars have played for Greg Popovich? Maybe two. I mean, a three. The guy takes teams and he gels them. Right, he he creates a system, and he cultivates, and he get grabs people from Europe, and he grabs people from the D League, and he grabs people that nobody wanted, and he grabs people that were bench players, and he makes a unit. He makes them better. Their stock goes up. 
They make more money. They win titles. They're the best. And a lot of times you couldn't name players on the team. These are t- the players nobody else wanted because they weren't quote unquote superstars, right? Right. Waiting for a superstar to win for your organization. Good luck. You have, obviously you can't carry the entire organization on your back, but the man's a leader. He doesn't make excuses. He goes out there and he wins and he focuses on what's in front of him. And he knows the competitive landscape. He adjusts based on market. Like we talked about at the beginning of this call, but again, like John, like you mentioned, you have to take ownership. You have to take that, that next step and say, hey, listen, I need guidance. I need a coach. Everybody has a coach, no matter who you are, right? You can be the best player in the world. We have a strength and conditioning coach. We have a dietitian. We have a shooting coach. We have a throwing coach. We have whatever it is. You need that constant accountability, that constant training, muscle memory, right? You don't use it or lose it type of thing. And if we're not growing in business, what are we doing, John? We're dying, right? And we're dying. we don't want that. Yeah, your competitor is going to come eat your lunch before you know it. They're going to eat your lunch. They're going to drink your milkshake and and, and other unmentionables. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's enough for folks to think about for a little bit. And then um, it's great. Next time we're going to talk about not asking for the order. I can't wait to talk about this, John. We we obviously have some some uh, maybe some differing opinions, but we're we're both consistent in the end game of this. So I'm very excited. Well, I look forward to later, Brian. John, I will see you later, my friend. All righty. It was great spending time with you today. Maybe you liked what you heard. Maybe we sparked some controversy. Maybe we got you excited, but hopefully we got you thinking. Hey, we want to hear from you. If the topic resonated with you, if you have a comment, or if you have an issue you're serious about fixing, reach out to us today. Hey, Brian, how can they get in touch with us? Great question, John. Best ways email. Email us at results at onebrokencog.com together. We're going to help you make small adjustments that's going to lead to major impacts in your business and your revenue.